0: Welcome everybody to Dumb and Awful. I'm here uh, as usual with Brett at Relentless Board. Hello. Uh, I'm Rob at Dumb and Awful, and our guest this week is uh, Evan at Bound State on Twitter.
1: Hey, how's it going?
0: Evan is a condensed matter physicist at MIT with a PhD in quantum computing uh, from Yale. So first question really more of a a request is just uh explain condensed matter physics to me or i'll fucking kill you don't dumb it down into some vague shit explain quantum computing to me right now or i will literally fucking kill you what the fuck is an anti ferromagnetic phase of spin how the fuck do crystalline solids break continuous translational symmetry don't dumb it down or i will fucking kill you oh
1: god I I don't know. I kind of think of condensed matter as everything that's not like the rest of physics. Like condensed matter physics can be like the way that sand flows through like a hole punched in the bottom of a sandbag, or something like that. Or like there's a guy who studies the gas dynamics of mosh
0: pits. That stuff like that. Yeah, non non condensed matter condensed matter (laughs) (laughs) matter be condensing am I right (laughs) no I I I love I'm excited for this because I I love physics and I love math that is you know not not to like beat the dead horse here it is sort of uh, one of the premises of the show is is I'm aggressively Polish and in the same way that like you know, uh, you'll, you meet like Irish guys who all think that, you know, when I was younger, I could have been a boxer, I could have been a fighter, that sort of thing. Or Italians all act like they're in, in the mob. Yeah, There is definitely a strain of, of ego in the Polish psyche. That's like, you know, mo- most of us, we, 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 we do animal husbandry. We work on the farm, but you know the, the the nerdiest of us get sent to the academy to become like Copernicus or Marie Curie. <laughs> and so there's there is a bit of like a, a math and physics Polock that like really loves that shit. And I, I admit that you know like after after Goodwill Hunting came out, there were a lot of polish american custodians that ruined a lot of blackboards by walking up <laughs> yeah. and being like i don't know like maybe you know let's at least find out maybe it's me right? <laughs> i mean they just look like stick figures how hard could it fucking be <laughs> that was really our fight club you know where everyone was like i think the purpose is to is we'll start our own fight club that was us it was like you know we we did uh, crack enigma just saying that's true yeah. but you know we we didn't our our grandfather <laughs> the the, the the weakest bone dense grandfather is the one that did that a long time ago. <laughs> Sorry, but I just I love I love physics. I don't always understand it. I I sometimes regret that I didn't pursue it more, uh, just because you know the the way it's it's and I mean you can probably speak to this, but like the way uh, math and science is taught in schools, especially in Florida, like when I was going to school in florida it was ranked 50th out of 50 states in, ed- in education number one baby and i remember i was in remedial math at, and my my teacher this is how fucking uninterested in, in math i was you had to keep all of your uh homework assignments in uh, a binder it was a class for people that you're not going to need pre-calc because you're never going to you don't understand geometry. You're not going to get to calculus. So <laughs> it was just like basic worksheets on like a home ec level. And I just like either couldn't or wouldn't figure it out. And so I, I tried like a Darren Brown uh, or like a Chris Angel mind freak thing where I I would take the worksheets and I'd put them in my, my three ring binder. And when the teacher would walk around, he'd lean over and put a check mark uh, if you completed it right he he didn't Mm -hmm. he would just look to see that you showed you showed your work and you did your bit he wasn't going to go through and and precisely get each one besides it's usually like 20 equations he knew he could tell from a glance if you put in effort and very early on i just didn't do it but i was like i'm gonna shoot my shot here and i opened my binder to the page and it was you know an empty worksheet and he he looked and then without even making eye contact with me, he just put the check on it and kept walking. <laughs> I know. And I was like, oh my God, like how lucky me. And instead of just going like, okay, that's a one-off. The next time I just like put random scribbles on everything and he looked at it. And this time he looked up at me. <laughs> and then he just put a check and walked away. <laughs> and so for the entire semester, my final math class was remedial math in in Florida. He just he, we just had it was never spoken about. We just had an agreement that I wasn't gonna do it and he wasn't gonna care. And in a year we'd never see each other again. <laughs> so I got got perfect grades throughout that entire semester.
2: That rocks. My Florida math history was uh all through high school, our whoever taught math to our class, it was to make an awful reference. It was defense against the dark art style. The teachers got fired midway through the year, every fucking year. So I would go through two to three math teachers every year. Uh, all the way up until senior year when I was in math class. So our entire class, doesn't matter if people were doing well or not, no one got moved up because we couldn't keep a teacher long
0: enough to determine if you're all idiots or not.
2: It was fun. Wow. <laughs> so I stayed in remedial math all four years.
0: And in, in actually, I, I have to take that back in college at FSU. I had an 8 a.m. statistics class.
2: I was in that with you, I remember.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I did not know what was going on. I, I spent the TI-83 whatever calculator money on something that was, was not making me any better at math. I'll put it that way. <laughs> this is how bullshit statistics is. I'm vaguely, pre- This is in my mind this is a brag, okay? Right. I, I got to the final, it's, it's FSU statistics, right? So like lower expectations, but it was in the big auditorium, like all the different sections took it at once and they would just like, there'd be a transparency up top and it would have all these questions for you and this is the first time I had ever, like, considered this. But I'm like, how hard could it be? It's like, you know, statistics. And so it was like three hours you had to do it. And I went all the way till the last minute. So it was just like me left in the auditorium. And the, the TA is just like, oh, come on. Like, what are the what are the odds that what you're doing right now is really meaningfully helping you? So I turned it in. And when I got it back, <laughs> I I got the majority of the answers right, but in the notes where you show their work, they were like, all of the work you showed are like fucking cave paintings. (laughs) These bear no relation to anything you've ever been taught, so we do have to deduct points for that, but somehow in defiance of God's will and natural law, (laughs) you got the right answers. Now, we would accuse you of cheating But again, we watched you for three hours. Like we can follow your deranged, like this should be written in a bathroom stall in shit, but instead (laughs) it's on the page. So I don't know how you did it, but B plus, I guess, please never come back. (laughs) I was proud of that. I bragged about that and went out partying. That's awesome.
2: It was a, it was a lecturer who couldn't be understood by anybody and would not take questions. She would refer you to your TA if you had questions and then TA's, who couldn't be understood and would not take questions so every every class in the auditorium was people seething like i don't know what's happening just getting angrier and angrier and then going to like your breakout session with the ta and then yelling at the ta because no one would answer your fucking questions oh fsu
1: i mean fsu i think has a good like a highly regarded math it definitely has a very highly regarded physics department and
0: oh yeah no we uh we we do um it does yeah, what is it like? uh when we were there, we had a big. Uh... They built a brand new building. Yeah, there's we got all sorts of. Uh... I sound like Trump now, like folks. We got all the all the molecules. We got all <laughs> the synthesis <that's laughs> all going the equations. on. We got plastic. We got materials. I, I don't know what kind, but it was very. <laughs> we have um. We have like a particle accelerator, or a super magnet, well, or something, have, like, which the, is. The, the
1: like the Francis Bitter Magnet Lab or something like that. But like, if you've ever seen the video yes. of the floating frog, I think that's in the bore of the, one of the, the bitter
0: solenoids. Yeah, no, that is definitely the solenoid that frog was in. <laughs> uh, the level of understanding for, of science or an appreciation for the physics department at FSU was that all the locals in the same way, everyone was just like, you know, chief Osceola, uh, is actually a, a real Indian chief, and that's why it's respectful. And it's like, no, it's not. It's a guy from Daytona. He's just a blonde freshman. He, he literally does red Dude face. Red face yeah. it's, that's not it at all. Uh, everyone genuinely believes and would swear under oath that the reason meteorological effects uh, will oftentimes miss Tallahassee or why we won't get the worst storms or hurricanes, people will go, you know, it's because the magnet they got in Tallahassee. It repels the storms. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> They used to tell me that all the time when I was lifeguarding. They're like, "Don't worry, it won't hit us." I'm like, why? And He's like, "Cause we've got that magnet. <laughs> we do got that magnet. That's though. awesome."
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I guess I grew up with a certain amount of mystification, but appreciation of of the power of physics. I have to say, uh, I d- didn't envy the people at the time that were were in that that line of of research and, and schooling, though, because their labs look like dog shit. Like they're always like <laughs> these fucking basement buildings that were falling apart. It did not look fun. Is it fun being a, uh, a condensed matter physicist?
1: I think fun is like, not now what's it like. It's not quite the right word. Um, it's pretty gratifying when things work. Um, but like the day to day is pretty messy. Like I've, like, put a vacuum pump on a helium doer over this weekend and then found... A...
0: Is, is that what you call it? Yeah. <laughs> Austin Powers, 1996. <laughs> and then I came in and then found out that a, a valve had leaked, so now
1: I have to re... Like, just, everything is a little bit broken because everything has been there for 30 years. And, I mean, it, it depends on what you're, what lab you're in. Some Some are very well-funded and have all sorts of, like brand new shiny stuff and then some are you know have have a lot of a lot of history
2: (laughs) you just sort of got to make things work so are you coming in every day and like it sounds like building contraptions for experiments and like that's your day-to-day and then you ideally run the experiment yeah more or less um at least
1: in condensed matter physics the papers usually have i don't know four to eight people or something on it and the first two or so people do most of the work. And yeah, like we design everything, build everything. And I mean, we use other things that other people have built around the lab and try and continue things. But yeah, it's a lot of building, a lot of running experiments, trying to keep everything duct taped together
2: before it explodes so that you can take data for the paper that comes out. And that way, you guys are a lot like enlisted people. It's just duct tape shit together. I hope it makes it over the finish line. Except in your end, it's to further the bounds of science. And on the enlisted side, it's to go get shot in a fucking foreign war. But yeah, <laughs> same vibe. I, I'm very interested in
1: engineering. And I, I, I think I started with more of an engineering background. When I was 14 or so, I got a little metal lathe. And this tool and die maker trained me. And engineering and physics research could not be more different um like here why well our goal is sort of to produce knowledge not things so the idea is not to make something that looks beautiful and polished and and like in watchmaking every part is supposed to look like it you know just kind of fell out of the sky and has no evidence of being made in in physics everything is a bit dirty and a bit wonky and nothing quite works but the but the paper has got to be gorgeous and Nobody's going to see the experiment, but people are going to hopefully read the paper.
0: That's one of the the perks of string theory is you don't actually have to do any experiments at all. You can just cut to the elegant the elegant theory.
1: <laughs> right, exactly. It's so elegant it never needs to be tested.
2: <laughs> um I like that distinction though that makes it easier to understand that like for you guys it's janky because the point is not to build a thing that's beautiful. The point is to build a thing that helps you understand something right and so long as it serves our purpose the rest of it's relevant
1: right and i think there's sort of different measures of that at least in condensed matter
2: when the parameters we're working in the
1: equipment we build doesn't really last that long and it's not really reused very often so there's not much value in making things that are super robust and bulletproof um, whereas people who work on particle colliders will like really make things gorgeous and, and they're they they have a lot of engineers and they use a lot of engineering techniques but there's only so many hours a day and there's only so many things you can master so we're just sort of doing our best to make things that
0: you know demonstrate something something beautiful so evan i'm I'm kind of hoping uh so sort of like to hit uh just because i'm a science nerd and uh, you know i'm on the show so i get to decide some things uh I, i'd kind of like some to some things Yeah, I get at least some things and it's uh, I would like to just like be helped to understand what the fuck like quantum computing is or like what it what it is that condensed matter even even means. Okay. so
1: I mean, it it might help to sort of break down the the sort of larger areas of physics um, as a whole into like different categories and then can sort of dive into condensed matter a little bit more. Sounds good to me. Okay. There's um I guess Astro, which is what I, I guess if you watch a PBS special or something, or Neil deGrasse Tyson or somebody like that. Hell yeah. Like
0: he's my favorite. It used to be Carl Sagan, <laughs> but then I then I realized motherfucking Neil DePimp Tyson was just walking around the the Hayden planetarium showing people images of thick women on his phone. <laughs> and I'm like, that actually that rules. <laughs> like I, I know it's problematic or whatever. But uh, honestly, half of that is because it's like, he's got the Pee Wee Herman problem, right? Which is, if you found out that like some fucking punk guy or Gigi Allen got caught wanking in a porn theater, which is like, I don't know what else you're supposed to be fucking doing in there. Yeah, right? true. If you heard that, you'd be like, ah, oh, <laughs> those scamps. If fucking Mick Jagger was blowing someone a there, you'd be like, that's a rock and roll, baby. <laughs> but because it was Pee Wee Herman, you're like, you fucking freak, how dare you? <laughs> I want, I want Neil deGrasse Tyson to fully, it's because he's like, uh, space time is, is uh, and the <laughs> particles can get as small as a Latinx woman's waist. Like, I, <laughs> I, want, I want him to just, he's an adult, let him be horny. I want Neil deGrasse Tyson after dark. <laughs> That's the program I'm trying to see. But uh, yeah, I do love, outside of him stifling himself and clearly being uh, horny beyond belief, I do like all the astrophysics stuff. That's what's really popular right now. Right? It
1: is super popular. It's like, yeah, like black holes and supernovas and planetariums and and like
0: turtlenecks and stuff. Like that's that's astrophysics. <laughs> it's also weed. Yes. Uh, every month at the, the Hayden Planetarium at the American Museum of Natural History, there's a great theoretical physicist there that he, he brings in other theoretical physicists in like, you know, astrophysics and gets really high beforehand. And you can tell he just loves, he's in the perfect situation because he can just go into the planetarium after dark and just fuck around. And he'll just in the <laughs> middle of of talking and like bring on these esteemed uh, thinkers, he'll just riff about like, yeah, one time I was in here with my, my shoes off and I could swear my toes. I thought my toes were the constellation. It's like, I'd like to hear more from this guy, please. <laughs> One time he had uh someone talking about wimps and chumps, I believe, which are like different sorts of uh, something with supernovas. Okay. And before he brought them on, he brought on a Shaolin throat singing guy that he just, passed on the upper west side on the way oh, and, and he turned off all the lights and made us sit in darkness while this guy just throat sang and he was like if that's not the mystery i don't know what is that's so <laughs> sick <laughs> yeah so it's, it's not just turtlenecks it's also being incredibly fucking cool <laughs> continue on astrophysics i think i i think we got yeah. that i'm gonna uh, look up this guy's name because he rules
1: <laughs> uh yeah and then there's like there's like particle physics. Physicists usually call that high energy physics. Um
0: H E P. Carter Emmert. That was his name, sorry.
1: Um, and that's like what you think about when uh, like particle colliders and string theory, just like really fundamental stuff. Um, like Brian Greene would be a high
0: energy physicist. Um Boo. Yeah,
1: it's where all the like really big egos
0: are. Columbia wankers, him and Mishio Kaku just fucking oroburusing each other until the end of time. <laughs> I mean, I don't really even know what the
1: state of string theory is these days. From from what I understand, like all the string theory conferences are just like combinations of, of like quantum information and just other things because it's very hard to like add new things to string
0: theory at this this point. So just just a polysyllabic version of the libertarian uh, electoral convention they do. <laughs> so string theory is part
2: of the particle physicists yeah yeah it totally
1: is just just like very early universe stuff like people say high energy because like high energies are generally associated with really short length scales and stuff like that so small stuff high energy stuff early universe stuff
2: what what else is high energy stuff is that like atomic bombs big bang
1: the big yeah the big bang is kind of at the intersection of astro and and high energy
0: um now, uh, seasoned science thinkers like me and you, Evan, uh, internally scoffed where his comparison for high energy was the splitting of an atom versus the explosion that created everything.
1: Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> no, they're both, they're both so, important. I, I think splitting of atoms is more like n- nuclear stuff. Like Besides condensed matter, astro, and high energy, there's all these other like smaller fields like fluid dynamics and nuclear fusion plasma so on and so forth but like fluid i know a little because that's where it crosses
2: over into meteorology
1: yeah fluid dynamics is pretty cool but i I don't know how big of a field it is anymore i I, like i I should be really clear like like as a physicist i have a very very narrow view on things um in condensed matter so when i think about like oh astro what do they do black holes i guess (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like i read pop si- like popular science to figure out what astro people are are doing it's not it's not like i'm really reading that i mean I've, i i have i have read a couple of recent astro papers like the gravitational wave paper but eh, i don't know there's you know only so many hours in a, in a day and i have to stay up to date on what's going on in condensed matter so i read popular science just like everybody else
2: so the big ones we have is astrophysicists the high energy Right. Particle. Yeah. um Condensed. There's the small ones like nuclear, fluid. I assume the optics type stuff is under there as a small one. Oh, too.
1: yeah. Like AMO atomic molecular optical stuff. That's like if you have like a, a, a little collection of, of atoms and you try and address the, the states of the electrons in the cloud of the, the gas or something like that. And it's quite beautiful stuff. That's like where you find atomic clocks. Oh, OK. Yeah but condensed matter is sort of like the biggest place it's it's where you find like superconductivity and transistors and like the properties of of materials and and stuff like that it's we like to classify things by the like the energy scale and condensed matter is the energy scales that you're familiar with on like a day-to-day basis so it's it's more everyday physics
0: does that make it more uh like economically viable is there greater commercial or defense pressures then because we're talking about the scale of like where we are oh
1: yeah that's um so like if you're trying to make a super amazing amplifier or something to put on a missile or to eavesdrop on somebody what you're gonna do is is put funding towards labs that make super pure materials or are able to make super low noise transistors and that's that's definitely condensed matter
2: the way I've always understood the science stuff is like the, the the purest form is just straight math, right? Physics is basically right next to that, and then as you move the other direction away from pure mathematics, you start getting engineering and uh, biology. And at the far left is sociology, because apparently everybody hates that and has no math involved. That's my understanding, at least. So, is under condensed matter sort of just material sciences in general? It's
1: kind of funny. It it I don't think it really breaks into such a like a linear a line like that so it's, it's not that clean <laughs> yeah no it really isn't um like i guess this is a nice time to talk about quantum computing um
0: yeah just just for the i think we probably we ha- we've had some new listeners you know, more <laughs> not everyone might be up on it um i'll just back off because they've heard me go i mean they're sick of me talking about quantum computing uh but yeah if you wanted to just because a phd uh was in quantum computing, right? Yeah, it was. Um, That's like really big. Everyone wants to get in on that, right? I, I watched. I watched the uh, blackface guy from Canada. What's his name? Just Prime you know. <laughs> Yeah, he, he, he gave a he gave a pretty good explanation of it. I decided, uh, but but maybe you could take a shot. <laughs> yeah, it
1: was. It's not bad. Um, I mean, I don't know. the The way I like to describe it is, it's it's sort of studying. The fun. Uh, this is really kind of a squishy. Defin- I kind of like it anyway, though. It's kind of overly romantic, but it's it's trying to understand the fundamental nature of the logic of the universe, like how it does its bookkeeping. You can say where oh, a part like that. Yeah, you can say like a particle is going this fast and is at this location or or whatever, but where is that written down? If we were living in a simulation, where how would that velocity and position be represented in the computer's memory or something like that? And I think the logic that most people are familiar with is, I think it's generally called like Boolean logic or it's it's ands and ors. And if I asked somebody to like go to the store and, and get milk and eggs, that would be different from asking for milk or eggs or... Most people are pretty familiar with that, but the universe sort of has its own set of logic wherein information can't really be destroyed. And you you can use these laws to build a computer that solves certain problems really well, we think. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a little funny. It 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 works really well for factoring large numbers, which is really good for breaking certain crypto systems. Which is why the NSA likes it. Yeah, yeah.
0: that's why like defense industry has to grab that before like yeah, that Lat- Latvian teenagers get their <laughs> hands on it. Because right? isn't is like two fifty six and all the fucking a whatever the fucking cryptographical standards are. The idea is that you just can't brute force it in any reasonable amount of time or anything approximating it. Yeah, With quantum exactly. Computing, you can, I guess, I don't know, do do more quicker because of the level of different states. Uh, please explain.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's a little funny to to explain. It it's not really parallelism. It's not like you're doing a bunch of things at the same time. It's it's much more similar to trying to interfere waves in a pond. And it's parallel in the sense that there's a bunch of crests that are all kind of crests and troughs of the waves that are all kind of doing the work for you. But it's you, you don't have full control over every parallel universe or something like people like to describe it. It's, and that's the particular reason why you can only formulate certain problems to be solved this way. Um, and we really have no idea what all it's good at. But that's also true of classical computers. We're not really sure what all classical computers are good at, or even if they're more powerful than quantum computers. We really just have no idea. We just think they're really good at factoring numbers and certain optimization problems. And yeah, so people are really interested in it right now for some reason.
0: <laughs> how, does it, how does it work, though? Like, it, Can you give me like the 30-second the version of what the fuck a quantum computer is? or is that just not viable.
1: Like the thing is that everybody implements them a little bit differently. Um so like if you're a quantum computer scientist and you're coming up with a new algorithm um something that's not factoring numbers or optimization or something, you're going to speak in terms of like general qubits which are like the bits of a of a quantum computer, but you're not going to know what exactly they are. One day maybe there will be a quantum computer and we'll be able to talk about a quantum computer, like we talk about the bits of a current computer being like transistors. But right now, there's a bunch of different technologies that are competing for that role. So is a quantum bit going to be a current circulating and a little superconducting loop? Is it going to be the positions of uh, particles that follow weird statistics? Is it going to be the state of electrons and a bunch of little clouds of gas and a little egg carton? We don't really know. So... It's it's hard to talk about what exactly is going to go on because everybody's trying to do it a
0: different way. I was going to say, are those all current approaches? Yeah, exactly. This shit's wild.
3: Yeah.
2: It sounds like we're describing as if if we were back in the day of them trying to com- invent computers, and it's like, we have transistors, we have vacuum tubes, and then we also have 10 other methods. And it's like, yeah, fucking who knows?
1: Oh, yeah. We have, like, there's there's one guy trying to do it with an abacus. There's one guy trying to do it with, like, <laughs> fluids going through locks and valves or something like that and and there's just professors going to conferences screaming at each other trying to say like oh no you're definitely the only way forward is vacuum tubes and then like transistors are never going to work and then the transistor people are just going like look at how big vacuum tubes are that's that's stupid like why would you do it that way
0: If I'm gonna put my I'm gonna put my flag down right now, it's not the abacus solution <laughs> because if I've learned anything from reading Feynman, it's that abacuses are stupid and anyone who believes in them is a dipshit. Uh, in in his memoirs, he he tells a story, uh, which the, Matthew Broderick played him in the Feynman movie. You can YouTube this uh, scene where like he's just like in a antique shop or something, and he sees a Chinese guy with an abacus like doing numbers, and he, he goes hey, you know, uh, I bet I could I could do large sums in my head better than your abacus. And the guy's like, I, I'm just trying to do my job. This is how I learned to do quick math. I don't have like a calculator. And he's like, let's do a competition. And he just fucking berates this poor Chinese guy with an <laughs> abacus and like makes him compete with him for five minutes doing large sums. And he's like, haha. ha got you and then just walks out triumphantly with like his wife looking disappointed in him. That's presented (laughs) as like a victorious moment. (laughs) Richard Feynman in general, I love all of his stories because it's just like, what if, what if the biggest asshole you've ever met was just so good at fucking numbers and physics? (laughs) All of his stories are just like, everyone hates me, but I'm smart. So it's okay. I imagine that's probably, uh, not an uncommon vibe in physics though.
1: I've found most people to be pretty nice, but there's there's a lot of unfortunately smart
2: assholes. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately smart's a great way to describe it. Yeah. <laughs> Every so often God hands out gifts to fucking pieces of shit.
1: You don't even have to talk about gifts. Like, you know, maybe you just had really good tutors growing up because your family was really rich and they oh, yeah. emphasized the like the importance of being good at at physics. So now you've lived a super privileged upbringing, and that's probably going to make you an asshole. So, <laughs> you know, and good at physics. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. So they're kind of correlated in a in a sucky way, but
0: I miss I miss the olden days of physics where all the people doing breakthroughs or even like trying to like discover shit were all just like. Uh, tiny twinks or incels with like uh, uh, social anxiety who never went outside and, and kept their piss in jars those were the fucking guys they had no they couldn't make eye contact with you but they could write a treatise and i miss them
1: i mean i think they were also somehow independently wealthy so it's (laughs) it's kind of always been rich people doing physics
0: they had the good sense to be ashamed by it at least (laughs) to stay out of the public yeah just wear a frilly fucking uh a blouse and shut the fuck up (laughs) god i'm
1: just thinking about lord kelvin we have to call him lord kelvin
0: i like i like the god there was a french guy but he he, he, he was like i think i'm on the edge of a breakthrough and, and everyone leave me alone and then, like, the French peasantry stormed his estate and guillotined him. <laughs> it's like, you know, I'm, I'm generally pro-science, but eh, fucking work quicker, asshole. Hey, you get what's coming to you. Maybe sometimes you should pay attention to what's going on outside. His wife ended up, like, uh, making the breakthrough and being celebrated and all that for a time. Yeah, it's a fun story. Yeah, Even better. Yeah, it all worked out. The guillotines are feminist, regardless of what the people on Twitter tell me. <laughs> 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 um okay so we have our our various fields here. Yeah. Uh
2: where does quantum compu- computing sit within the the major fields? Is that within yours? It sits condensed matter. It sits like all over the damn place. Um there's like people from
1: chemistry hitting in so on it. kind of like your
0: mom. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, like condensed matter is is where a lot of quantum computing is happening because it's the same people who are working on nanoscopic devices like weird transistors or or superconduct like superconductivity people working on it but there's also people in in optical physics atomic molecular optical physics who just discovered that the atomic states of gas clouds are also very like potentially useful for
2: for quantum computing um that makes sense That would explain like the variety of approaches yeah I, i guess then my question becomes if everyone is doing it Is that because it actually crosses all these bounds, or is that because there's a heavy financial incentive to be doing quantum computing?
1: It's kind of both. Um, It's definitely kind of both. There is definitely a huge push right now for quantum computing research. Um, And if you can sort of explain how what you're doing furthers the interest of the field, and you can get grants sort of more reliably or get larger grants i mean it is it is interesting to build a a quantum computer but it's it's definitely like shape the incentives quite a bit i mean there's a
0: lot of things that are interesting why is all the money flowing to fucking quantum computing
1: saber rattling against china right now is sort of the way that i see it i think china is going very hard uh into quantum computing research they had some really nice papers on entangling qubits through bouncing off of a satellite and entanglement over very large distances and stuff and you know we just can't can't fall behind that that would be unconscionable Um, (laughs) uh so um i think it's it's really not that different from the space race
2: yeah i was just saying so this is the modern day space race yeah
1: it really is i'm not completely clear on what the soviet motivations were for going to space but I, i like to think it was sort of a matter of engineering prowess and national pride and something like that. But it sure seems like we went to space because they were doing it. So.
2: Yeah, we went out of spite. Yeah. I hope they went out of gay space communism because they got pretty close. Yeah. The Soviets <laughs> knew what they were doing. Um, to zoom out a little bit, that does make me question like, so day to day you're trying to build things to do an experiment. Yeah. Where does all of your money come from to do the things that you guys do within physics? So it
1: depends on who your funding agency is. If you want the really big quantum grants you generally go for the defense budget right so there's these different multi-letter agencies like IARPA, ONR AFOSR etc they provide most of the money and if you can sort of describe how or rather how you can turn your research into a quantum computer then like probably a good candidate for this this grant but There's also the NSF who provides, like the Arecibo telescope was mostly NSF funded. Um, They do mostly fundamental research and and stuff like that. Um, But it's harder to get NSF money. I myself am am on a department of energy grant, um, which sort of sits somewhere in between where it's a smaller amount of money and it's expected to lend towards quantum computing, but it's more of a moonshot, kind of approach to quantum computing and it's super early stages so i can really call what i'm doing more materials research
2: than quantum computing research most of the funding in physics is coming from the DOD right now yeah and so is there a a sort of like treadmill where let's say once you do get an academic position which to do that you have to write papers and be celebrated in your field i guess or like know the right people we can talk about that in a second but once you do get into you have a position. Are you on a constant treadmill of, uh, or not treadmill, are you on a constant cycle of like secure funding, do the research, do the experiment, present the results, secure funding? And, and then it just like repeats over and over again?
1: Yeah, more or less. You have to publish papers. You have to publish papers to justify getting the next grant. There's various ways to help this process along and, and maybe secure getting more grants going forward. One thing you can do is you can grow your group. So if you're a professor, you can take on more group members to have your hands in more areas of physics to sort of minimize your risk. It's not unlike diversifying your portfolio if you're investing or yeah. something like that. Started
0: with the breakthrough. Now all my homies in the lab with me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that- I got homies working on physics. I don't even know what the fuck they're doing. I just throw money through. way. <laughs> but
1: this is sort of the trend like if if you're a real if you run a really really good lab you're expected to take on more people and do somewhat more conservative research and have your hands in more areas of of physics and then you can sort of slowly get a little bit more detached from the physics itself and you take on more of a managerial role so it's it's really not all that different from From business in that respect, which is you know a little a little disappointing. (laughs) Do
0: you feel that? Do you feel like capitalist pressures when you're doing your research? How much are you? How often do you like feel the friction of the fact that you're working under a a business adjacent system?
1: Pretty regularly. um, The thing is that uh, labs spin out startups all the time, and it's not always clear how the intellectual property that I mean we can debate the merits of intellectual property is actually meaning anything to begin with. But let's just say you worked on something you're pretty proud of um, during your PhD. It's not it's not unlikely that a year or two later that you'll see your work in, in somebody's startup. Uh, and that's, you'll hear through the news, <laughs> maybe. It's it's not at all uncommon. As you say, you, you can do more work on your end to sort of say, okay, I want to make sure I'm on this patent and such and such, but then people will tell you, oh, it's not really worth being on the patent because the university takes such and such. What do
0: you mean such and such?
1: Well, they own the patent and they may sell it to somebody and you are some fractional owner of the patent and you're not really a part of the writing of the patent. They'll hire some lawyers to take care of it and, and then you might see a yearly compensation for some time. Maybe if your idea gets adopted... Um, But most ideas are not really that patentable, um, no matter how clever they may be. Maybe you invent a very clever, I don't know, circuit or something like that. But then circuits aren't really patentable. Most aren't. And then a box could just show
2: up one day that uses your circuit. And that's, that's all she wrote. Damn. Yeah. Sounds like they have a great system for profiting off of the work of physicists who don't bail. Right. Who don't bail into the startup itself.
1: Uh, yeah, that's right.
2: Jumping out a startup seems like you were saying one of the ways that people leave, yeah, the academic route is there finance, I think is another one right weirdly yeah um the The interplay between physics and finance is
1: I think really interesting. I think physicists have managed to put ourselves into a role of just being experts of all things. <laughs>
2: hell of a marketing coup then
1: yeah it's great um and i think physicists are also trained to do these things called uh fermi calculations
0: yeah 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 i know where this is going yeah but...
1: th- this is like long it's like a long chain of crappy approximations whose errors eventually cancel in the end <laughs> it's, it's perfect for these like interview questions of of like how many piano tuners in chicago um the origin is really kind of cool. Um, Enrico Fermi was on the the Manhattan Project, and he wanted to know how many pounds of TNT equivalent were in a bomb. And he dropped a, a stack of papers from his lookout tower as the bomb was going off, and measured how far they flew, and then calculated pretty closely how how powerful the bomb was.
0: The I got to say the Manhattan Project are are they were just an all star group. They they were like the the fucking twice of nuclear physics and that they're all v- incredibly talented and have nothing but disdain for japan <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah i mean the manhattan project is kind of the perfect example of, of physicists just not really being reflective enough i mean if you look back on their biographies or just like ooh what a neat source of of fun problems <laughs> and and this this is kind of the thing like i i think most people see physicists as like i'm you know i i'm going to cure cancer out of it's like a noble pursuit but yeah, people do that but like i think most scientists deep down are in it for a hit of the the sweet, sweet problem-solving juice.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, they have. It has to be about getting your rocks off on some level. Because uh, I think absolutely. about that guy. I think about that guy at the Manhattan Project. I can't remember his name or the specifics, which is really the best way to recollect uh, an anecdote. <laughs> but we had like the two halves of some metal fucking orb, and he was just propping them open with the screwdriver to save time. And then he he. Do you know what I'm talking about? And then that's he dropped the, one on the other that's and just demon killed him. Core the demon core. Yeah, what was the demon core thing? Um
1: well, this is more like a like a really really good experimental physicist an- anecdote. They okay, they were trying to come up with a way to assess like how good a core was, like the the lump of fissile material that goes inside of a bomb. And to make an atomic bomb go off, you close the fissile core with a with a shell. And then what happens is the thing will shoot off neutrons and then the shell will reflect the neutrons back in and that'll push off more neutrons and so on and so forth and eventually boom but let's say that you let some of those neutrons out well now there's a sort of balance between the number of neutrons that get reflected in versus going out and it doesn't go off so the way that this guy was testing these cores was he would take the two shells that would eventually go in an atomic bomb and slowly kind of close them around one of the 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 cores but block it open with a with a screwdriver and you got to use a long handle screwdriver because you know you hmm. don't want to irradiate yourself
0: you wouldn't want to be unsafe that's true yeah yeah exactly
1: <laughs> um so you put some bricks around it uh, to to shield yourself from the radiation some some lead bricks and you take a geiger counter and you you put it by where the gap in the two spherical halves is and then you sort of you know close let it close a little bit and you hear the geiger counter tell you you're about to die and then you open it back up and eventually you you know you suss out how 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 powerful the core is but if if you slip that's it's very bad you really don't want to slip and let the the shells close around the core because now you have a literal atomic bomb so um this happened where the the shells closed around the core not once but twice and with the same core <laughs> and this
0: and then they named it the demon core. Um, to your point, it's just the it's just the idea that like uh, these aren't fucking enlightened uh, Buddhist monks walking around thinking about the nature of the universe. at least some of it is motivated by like, I want some of that exciting, grimy physics juice. I want to discover something or, <laughs> or or have some, like, I want to do something cool.
1: Yeah, I mean, every physics professor sort of sees themselves as kind of a rock star, I think. And if you look around for pictures, I think it was either Louis Slotin or Henri Doglion, who was the, like, the screwdriver guy. There's a picture of him shirtless with his arm around a bomb with sunglasses, <laughs> just looking very... Like
0: Just the science version of like a weeb with a katana and a fedora, like leaning back. I just love that physicists sound like jet pilots. They have that same vibe of like, you know, you're,
2: you're like what you're doing is, is insane. And like you're flying a tiny little machine at crazy high speeds, dodging missiles, like sitting in this tiny cockpit that's like barely held together all to like drop a bomb on some distant place. And they're like, yeah, bro, it's fucking sick. Like there's no, there's like no awareness or like reflection in them. They're just like, it's so fucking dope, bro. Oh yeah. The, it's,
1: it's absurd how much of experimental physics is, is don't fuck up <laughs> or you get fired. Um, Yeah. You, you, you can't, you just can't fuck up. You you try really hard not to fuck up. Some people fuck up over and over again and it's, it's pretty funny. Um, There was a, an experiment that I was adjacent to that used these little slivers of, of diamond that were grown to be completely pure. And then they went to another facility where you, you replace one carbon atom with one nitrogen atom in them to, to have one, like two electrons free. I think it's either one or two. And I think these, these diamond slivers were a couple grand each. And when you build an optics experiment, you build it over a table called a breadboard, which is a big slab of metal. Um, with a ton of threaded holes in it, and then you thread posts and things into the the table with lenses and stuff attached. To it. It's a very flexible way of designing a, an experiment. But when they were trying to fix the the diamond onto a, a, a holder, they would drop the diamond slivers into the holes on the ex- the optical table over and over again, and it's like, oops, <laughs> I don't want to just buy. We'll <laughs> just buy a new one <laughs> every time it happens. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think people sort of imagine physics as, you know, like Grey's Anatomy type surgery, you know, like just it, things are pretty, it, it's clean lines, there's some drama, but like we're all working with like state-of-the-art tools and I don't know, I haven't seen fucking Grey's Anatomy. But like, I was always shocked at FSU just how jank everything was, like as a norm. Like at the end of the day, it is like we have a thing that we're testing and these are the tools available. This is what we got, we're just going to take a run at
1: it. Oh, that's exactly it. It's it's quite. It's a lot of state-of-the-art equipment duct-taped to other state-of-the-art, state-of-the-art equipment. We have a pump that blows the breaker of every outlet we plug it into. So you have to plug it in, turn it on for five seconds, blows the breaker, reset the breaker, turn it on again, and then you keep going until it's warm <laughs> enough to keep going. That's very normal. Um, we have another... Uh, back at my old lab we had an accelerated warm-up procedure for our dilution fridges. So these things sit at, at twenty millikelvin, so colder than anywhere in the universe except for a couple of other labs. Um, and my
0: X is hard, am I right? <laughs> yeah. Oh fuck. That's that's one that's one for the, the 80-year-old Catskills man that inexplicably still listens to this. <laughs>
1: And you literally just hook the thing up to a, a thing of nitrogen and, and open the valve very slowly because if you open it up too too fast, the whole thing just frosts over and and gets destroyed. So you have to very gently open the valve so you don't completely destroy your five hundred thousand dollar fridge. <laughs> I w- I was just evacuating the this Dewar that contains helium. There's like a vacuum jacket on in it with with this stuff called super insulation which is like christmas wrapping basically and you know if you if you let even a light sort of stream of air in it'll just blow the christmas wrapping off and and the thing is installed in the floor so what do you do then you don't fuck up (laughs) 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 my professor just told me you know it's you know you really want that that safety system on the pump to work right, or else it's the end of your postdoc. So you really don't want it.
0: <laughs> I see now why they have just like uh, grad students doing all of the the actual lab work. Just because you know, if 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 uh, if you lose one or two or something fucks up, you you can just point at them and be like, "Damn, I wouldn't have done that." I'm the professor. Yeah, I
1: mean, I I think grad students are around for longer, so. They're somehow more valuable than. I'm actually not sure what the like the value of a postdoc versus the value of a grad student is, but yeah, we're we're all kind of expendable
2: to to a degree. Yeah, within the capitalist framework, just plug and place uh physicists until you get one who doesn't break it.
1: <laughs> or or it's actually not really that different from finance, where if if somebody just blows up a huge portfolio and. Um, then, then you fire them and take somebody else on. You got rid of the guy who fucked up, so everything's fine now.
2: Yeah, exactly. That guy's gonna put on his resume how he managed this giant portfolio and just leave off that other bit <laughs> <and>
1: somewhere else. <laughs> right, exactly. I th- I think a a good physicist can can balance um, the pressures of gritting your way through a problem versus you know taking the time and engineering a nice a nice solution. But there's there's absolutely a balance. Um, one of the famous British physicists i think Millikan or, or one of those said that if an experiment doesn't fall apart right after the paper is published you've put too much time into it
2: <laughs> uh, i do love that energy yeah just enough to get it over the finish line no more yeah exactly because
1: there's you know there's other things there's other things to do and i i love making really pretty things but i you know i'm I'm trying to fight that impulse as I as I uh, advance in my career because it's it's not towards the goals of of uh, publishing publishing the paper necessarily. One thing that's kind of interesting that's happening right now in quantum computing is everybody's competing for a different measure of the goodness of a quantum computer. So right now, I guess it's Honeywell is really pushing the measure of quantum volume, and I'm not even really sure what it means exactly, but. Every company has their own measure for measuring how good their quantum computing is by which theirs is the best. So nobody can really (laughs) measure how good a a quantum computer is. And
0: I love that Uh, law schools do the same thing. There's US News and World Report does like the list of of the best law schools, which is really important because uh, fresh graduates from law school can't do fucking anything. Like famously, they're just being hired or their like uh, networking connections and the prestige of their school. So that like, you know, if, if you go to like Kravath or whatever Kravath, it's all fucking Ivy league people because then they can sell that in the brochure. And so realizing that some law schools come up with their own metrics and famously Thomas M. Cooley law school in Michigan publishes their own metric where they highly weight the, uh, the square footage of their legal library and so they built basically a gymnasium of books so that they could be number one in their own (laughs) ranking yeah it's fucking dope sorry honeywell and uh quantum computing volume you're saying
1: yeah they're pushing this metric i think it's honeywell anyway that's pushing quantum volume but other people are pushing other metrics and it's i think it's a little bit different than law school because we're not even really sure what the like, nobody actually knows how to measure the goodness of a quantum computer. Like, people come up with different measures, and then we, they just push one. It's, I mean, they, they all seem as, as good as the next one.
0: <laughs> just, run, just run Far Cry 3 on it, and, <laughs> and whichever one's the best.
1: Well, I mean, that's that's sort of what... Um, there was a company called... I mean, there still is a company called D-Wave, um, which... Wears a Patagonia vest. <laughs> <laughs> Um, they they had a, they had something that they were claiming was a quantum computer a long time ago, but I, I don't think anybody thinks it is um and they just kept saying that they had the most qubits. They would just every year come out with a with a processor <laughs> that had twice the number of qubits. It was like, oh, this one has <sighs> last year we had one that was 512. Now we have a 1024 bit quantum computer and but like how good is it <laughs> um, And then the way that they would, Like further buttress that this was a thing worth buying is they would run optimization problems on it and compare it to like a laptop or something. And, and then they would just say, Oh, it's, it's, but, but none of, none of this is like a scientific justification that there's actually anything quantum going in, going on in the processor. And in some sense, it's a, like, it's a wonderful like hedge as a business strategy because because of the way that they're in, Implementing what they claim is a quantum computer, you can't tell. <laughs> All you can do is benchmark it and see if it works really well. So, I mean, they've the rules. they've sold quantum computers to Google, to NASA, and and everybody, and then they've used those sales to say, "Look, they've they've bought our quantum computer, so it must be a legitimate quantum computer." And 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 no, it's there's not really that much evidence that it's. It's actually doing what they say it does.
2: Um, that yeah, awesome. it's pretty good. I love that. I love that cutting edge physics. It's like so unknown that the, you get the like the classic grift of if I define the thing, then I'm rich. If everybody accepts my definition of what the thing should be or how it should be measured or what it's supposed to do. And of course, my definition is the thing that I own. Uh, then I make a ton of money off of it. So like, it's just fighting to get your definition accepted.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, so right now there's a sort of fight over the way to to even make one specific type of quantum computer. Superconducting qubits, for instance, um, what people want to do is use the same technology. I mean, a modification of the technology used to make your processor in your in your computer and sort of modify it to to make qubits for a quantum computer and lay them out in this big grid and use a bunch of like very beautiful math to to suss the errors out. But there's other competing strategies, but because this one came first, if you're applying for grants to make a quantum computer, you're going to have a much, much harder time applying for grants to use these other codes. The DOD really wants to see more. It's called surface codes. They want to see more surface code quantum quantum computers and everything it's not a sort of an uphill cutting edge battle
2: that kicks ass it's the it's the blu-ray versus hd dvd format wars but in physics quantum computing oh 100 that's
1: exactly (laughs) it
2: it's always delightful to see like the same bullshit exists in all fields but just in different formats
1: oh yeah no it's it's not we're not exempt from from any of this
2: (laughs) well it's 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 something that like i think a lot of laymen myself included, like to believe you'd like, you really want to believe that scientists are like one self-sacrificing angels, because that sounds nice that there's someone, there's some smart moral person in this society. Who's trying to do things just to better the system.
0: They have been posited kind of uh, as faith in government institutions crumble. This believe the science movement has sort of posited that, you know, scientists are the new grown ups, Maybe they're the last grown-ups in the room.
2: Yeah, exactly. It is. It's a comforting thought. I understand it.
1: I. I really have to say that believe the science is truly a cursed phrase, because I think <laughs> I think most people believe this. Like, what does believe the science even mean? Like, believe in, like, going over something in a methodological way. Believe the corpus of scientific, research? like all the pa- believe all the papers. Like, I don't know what that means exactly. And the people who claim to believe the science really do. The Democrats have a certain, they say, oh, we're going to deal with the climate over the next 30 years, whatever their horizon was that seems to change regularly. But the scientists say, oh, we have these scientists as if we gather and all in one place say that we have, you know, a much, much shorter span to, to deal with our carbon emissions. So if, if you're saying you're going to deal with it in, in 30 years as opposed to 10, are you are, do you really believe the science? and and then people who i guess the gop is has very scientifically approached gaining power like they have they've had a strategy <laughs> they've stuck to it They it, it's it's very it seems plenty scientific i mean the Kochs were both like mit chemical engineers
2: they know what they're doing there there's plenty scientific there's been a very methodological methodological approach to everything they're yes. doing yes they're very good they're, they're, at what they do
0: Drilling down deeper into that which works and uh, immediately discarding that which has been falsified.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's that's something all the judges, every, every judge attempt that didn't work, that seemed like it never would, you throw it out and you come up with a different strategy.
0: Evan, you're uh, ideologically on the left. I'm just curious uh, what your conception is of if we weren't in our current uh, sort of capitalist system and mode of production, if we did have something resembling socialism, however you conceive it, how do you think that would affect the work you're doing for the better or worse?
1: It would be much more comfortable to do science. We would retain better people. There's no reason for all these people to leave science and work on pricing airline tickets. <laughs> like, that's people who've done their PhD in optimization do that and go work for airline companies there's no reason for that and there are a lot of ideas that should be studied that can't because people are afraid of keeping their their jobs yeah i I think it would be a much better world if if scientists were less scared of their job job security and yeah we just get better people um one of the fundamental reasons that i got into academic research is because i hate the idea of somebody else repeating exactly what i did and that doesn't necessarily mean <laughs> that my name is out there um, written in the stone forever and that nobody does what I did it ever. Everybody knows who I am from what I did. That's, that's not what I want. I, I just find that scientific research is a very resource intense practice. For instance, this isn't true anymore thanks to reliquifiers, but I might go through $2,000 worth of helium in I think a month or something like that. Um, And helium doesn't stay on earth. It just goes into space and it's mined. So one day the, the earth will just be out of helium. So let's say that I'm in industry and I'm doing an experiment that requires a lot of helium and that results in some intellectual property that's now bought up by some other company that has no vested interest in that particular piece of intellectual property and then that work is repeated because it's a useful method um that means you just burn twice the money and twice the helium twice the helium is the important part (laughs) there's no reason for that um we should all be sharing our work i think that's impeded our progress as humans a, a great deal um, that we've had to rediscover and rediscover things over and over again because the research was done by an R&D team at a company.
0: But doesn't this, the siloed replication of the same exact work uh, in a competition model through you know, private R&D lead to innovation? Isn't that sort of foundational to our American excellence?
1: <laughs> it's You're innovating starting from nothing. The, the whole idea of science is you're building on the shoulders of giants um, and if you just keep undercutting yourself over and over again by, by throwing away scientific results, what was the point of doing it to begin with? And I, I can tell you to begin with that, that people who go into the sciences or, or start an engineering degree, most of them aren't in it to be innovators or, or something like that. We are not rewarded um, for, for innovating. We're, we're rewarded for spinning our research out into... A private company and then hammering on it over and over and over again uh, until we just beat all the blood out of it and and then retire innovation is a thing that you know happens in I, I think mostly in in small labs by by grad students and and postdocs and the odd company that that's fueling new research
0: so competition model uh maybe not actually great (laughs) and amazing and making us number one in the world. Well,
1: I don't think competition is necessarily a bad thing, but you have to set it up the right way. There's no reason for it to be set up the way that it currently is, where we're competing sort of for our our livelihood and and when you leave, you just go out and do something that is finance or airline tickets or something like that. It's, It's as if we're all swimming away from this big vortex or something like that and at the center of the vortex is, is uh is defense and and finance and these other things and you got to you got to swim real hard to avoid falling into it and and if you if you screw up like that's sort of the end of it
0: yeah it's almost like uh uh an ever expanding rate of profit is not a sustainable model for increasing the corpus of knowledge that is our birthright as human beings on this earth for just a, a brief period of time. For the listener, I, I was—I don't actually believe in that fucking mod, I was teeing him up like an expert broadcaster. You understand, this is a professional working right now. That's right. All right, I only have uh, one more question, which I guess I could ask you off the air, but I don't, I'm too impatient. Uh, when you eventually succumb to uh, a DARPA grant, can you let me come over when you meet the Metal Gears?
1: <laughs> I, I'm, I, I will need a liaison, so yes. <laughs> I just feel
0: like me and the Metal Gears will all get along. <laughs>
2: uh, well, all right,
0: everybody. Thanks for listening. So
1: I want to plug an article um, that was written by a friend of mine that was in Physics Today. It's called Disentangling Anti-Blackness from Physics. It's by um, Charles Brown. Um, it's by a buddy of mine who uh, is a super talented physicist and really had a hell of a time being a black PhD student in physics at Yale. And I, I think everybody should read it.
0: Yeah. We'll put a link to it, uh, in the show notes. Check that out.
2: Thank you, Evan, for coming on. It was a pleasure. Uh, lovely to hear about the physics field. I'll be honest. I I think I understood one out of every three words, the specific words, (laughs) but. I still feel like I learned a lot about it. So thank you for coming
0: on. Yeah, I'll be honest. There was definitely a stretch there where I was trying to figure it out, but my brain just kept going to, how come baby goats and baby seals make the exact same noise? <laughs> <laughs> it's thought-provoking, right? Because now you're going back and you're going, is that true? And you, you go through, you test it, and yeah, it does seem like it's true.
2: But yeah, thanks for coming on. Thanks for listening, everybody. It's been Brett Real this board. That was Rob at Dumb and Awful. The show is at Dumb Awful Show. And you can follow Evan at Bound State. We have bonus episodes on the Patreon you should check out. We just did a few, actually a few Florida-specific episodes that are on the Patreon feed that you should check out. And as always, hop in the Discord and bullshit
0: with us if you'd like. I will also say uh, if, if you at all find any value in what we're doing, uh, feel free to go on, I don't know, iTunes or wherever the podcast app is and you know leave a, a positive or a, a five-star review because the algorithm dictates a lot. Uh, if you don't enjoy what you're hearing, I would say don't leave a review. Just keep doing what you're doing, which is uh, DMing me and telling me to kill myself. <laughs> you're doing a great job there. And as long as it doesn't show up on the ratings, well, we're doing great. Uh, but I, I think that's it. And, and check out the uh, the article on anti-blackness in physics.
2: Yeah. All right. See y'all.